You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week are Jeff Branke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every Friday at about 1.30. Oh, wait, it's Thursday, though. Still 1.30. So if you subscribe on YouTube at IEN Magazine, you'll get a notification at least two minutes before we go live. Anna, how are you doing this week? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. It's good to be back. Feeling good. I thought Andy did a really good job last week, though. Yeah, it's great. Always had nice to have Andy on board. Good to have you back, though. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing? Very well. We are on a roll. Yeah. Between softball last Wednesday through today so we got to keep it going here the yeah. podcast counts we got to crush this just like our softball games well uh you know uh, talking about the podcast um you know our office we're shut down next week we shut down for the fourth every year um and so as a result we're not going to have as much content posted to the websites throughout the week so it might be a little bit harder to chop up what our top five stories are that week so i was thinking that maybe we uh send it to the viewers and listeners a little Mm. bit, see if they had any uh, particular questions that they would like us to answer or any story recommendations, things that they saw either from next week or from the industry that they'd like us to discuss. Uh, What do you guys think of that idea? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that'd be great. Now we just need at least one person to send something. I know. (laughs) And Jeff, I should say, like, if the plan is to crush the podcast, you need to tell us in advance. I just came here to like regular do the podcast. I wasn't. Mm. That's the problem with Anna. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I always come to play. I <laughs> wait about seventh on the podcast. Anna. I need to be told to give 110%. Normally I'm giving 100. Right. We are about a day left into a week off. So we know where we're at. We do. Um, all right. Well, before we get started, we have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back. Our first story this week, we'll tell you in a second, right after we tell you about that link just below in the description to click for a free sample of Oil Eater. All right, now, our first story this week. Tesla lays off 200 autopilot employees. Tesla is closing an office in San Mateo, California, and cutting some 200 autopilot jobs in the process. The employees labeled videos captured by cameras and sensors mounted to the vehicles. It sounds like it was common knowledge that Tesla's lease on the the office building was ending but employees were shocked to find that they were laid off instead of being relocated. According to leaked audio from a meeting with management, Tesla tried to keep the team as it was 
moving autopilot employees to Palo Alto. The employee's last day was this week, but at least they're going to be paid the next 60 days. Anna, one thing I'm surprised about with Tesla is how no matter what the meeting, there's always like leaked audio, emails, memos. It is just, I mean, I don't know who has the line into Bloomberg, Yeah, but it's just, I feel like all of a sudden something happens at Tesla and they're just bombarded with internal documents. Yeah, there's a lot of sources over there, mm. some moles hiding in the walls. Uh, I think it's clear that Elon Musk is spooked about the economy mm-hmm. um, and what the current economic conditions might portend because he said so much like in recent weeks about how he is planning layoffs. Um, in this case, I think it's hard to tell what's going on. Tesla's moving that self-driving group, as you mentioned, to another location. So perhaps there's some sort of redundancy issue in play. We don't really know mm-hmm. about that. But I think one other possibility is that Tesla might see the writing on the wall from the NHTSA who's actually considering um, it, like, so we know that, that NHTSA or NHTSA is, is probing Tesla right now about its self-driving cars. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we just saw an AP story break today um, where they interviewed NHTSA's new CEO who called out self-driving specifically and said that the agency was going to intensify its efforts to understand the risks posed by automated vehicle technology so it can decide what regulations may be necessary to protect drivers, passengers, and pedestrians. So I think it's possible that Tesla is maybe slowing down a little bit on self-driving only because uh, Musk is so publicly pulling back. Yeah. Um, I think he might have some other problems that he needs to deal with first. Um, we know that there's a lot of supply chain issues. Um, you know, anecdotally, there's been reports of challenges from their production and inability to maintain the pace that they have established um, so far this year. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also as it relates to self-driving, since there are no federal regulations around that at this time, maybe those are being anticipated based on NHTSA's recent comments. And maybe that potential coupled with these other challenges that Tesla is facing means putting some of this development on the back burner for now. This is pure speculation on my part, but it just... Like the move didn't seem like something that was part of long term strategy. If these employees were so shocked, it felt like maybe it was response to something timely. And that's my best guess. See, I was speculating on the other end where uh, it seemed like the move was already planned. It did, Maybe it just logistically didn't work out to bring the employees. Um, it didn't seem to me like they were pulling back or it had anything to do with the autopilot problems or his, you know, predictions about cutting 10% of the workforce, mm-hmm. um, about his super bad feeling, super bad. Yeah. About the economy. Uh, it just seemed like this was, uh, what maybe turned out to be either a last minute deci- decision or something they didn't really want to tell them from the outset. Uh, but that was, that was just my speculation. Right. Just, yeah. Uh, Jeff, what's your speculation on it? I agree more with Anna's speculation than mm. your speculation. I, like I, speculation. I think they basically saw an opportunity here. You already foreshadowed the fact that they were going to be making cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an area that they're getting more negative headlines about than positive. I don't think it's really turned out to be the the sales push or the, 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 the hot button item. 
that was going to create more, stimulate more sales activity as maybe Elon Musk thought it would. So I think it's an opportunity to do that. I also think he's starting to look more internally at his operation and try to figure out ways that he is going to need to stay competitive in the short term. Mm -hmm. According to a report by Bloomberg, by 2024, they're predicting Volkswagen to be the number one EV seller in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right now, even though Tesla doesn't break things down by country in terms of sales, it's projected that the U.S. is about 40% of their total sales. Well, Volkswagen's going to grow in China and Europe, yeah. <clears throat> two areas where right now they have a chance to get ahead of Tesla. So I think Elon Musk is probably looking at, okay, we've got everybody else who's going to be jumping on this EV ship here to, to start pushing things forward. I've got to do something to get sort of get our house in order and mm -hmm. get our priorities more aligned. We've already covered some of the production issues. They've run into different things in China. They've run into different things in Germany. They just started the new plant in Texas. They're going to eventually run into some of these same supply chain issues that all the other automakers do if they get to that type of scale where mm -hmm. they're more competitive. Mm -hmm. So I think this is more of a, I think it was a tough business decision that he had to make. You do feel bad for all these folks because it was kind of a knee jerk thing yeah. to them. Like they were all legitimately surprised mm -hmm. that it was this sort of scale in terms of the layoff. The other thing I think we have to look at when it comes to a lot of the things that are, that did influence people to buy EVs in the past versus now is those federal tax incentives are gone for Tesla. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have expired. So when you look, if, if Volkswagen is indeed their number one competitor on the EV side, right now, if you're buying an electric Volkswagen, an all electric, that's $7,500 credit, it's still there. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Yeah. It is, yep. No, uh, see, I think that he's still invested in autopilot because also if you looked at some of the things that these employees were doing, it kind of seemed mm -hmm. like they were the employees like on the other end of Siri or uh, your Amazon Echo, right? Where like when Amazon... Um, uh, when Alexa doesn't understand what you're saying, they're the ones yeah. that like quickly try and figure out what you need. Yeah. Um, because these were people that were just kind of looking at the cameras, looking for things that were overlapping. It seemed more like not a mission critical job. That when kind it comes of re to refining the algorithm a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that while they might still be invested in Tesla, maybe this is, you know, uh, like you said, some spending that they could kind of cut out reasonably. Yeah. Um, and about your, your point about the workers, I also wanted to mention that as well, because yeah, the workers were told to immediately leave their laptops and badges <laughs> yeah. and to check their emails for severance and benefits information. And, you know, while it sucks, it just it happens and it happens all the time. And it's just a reminder that everyone is replaceable. And it's a brutal, brutal truth. Like uh, <laughs> it Damn. is. All right. No, it is. It was like, uh, <laughs> well, I was, uh, um, you know, we've had friends or we've been, and some of us have been through this exact situation where it's just like you show up one day and they're like, hey, meeting in 15 minutes. Great. Leave all your stuff and go leave a post-it note on the door saying we're not paying the lease. Um, and it is like uh, it reminded me of this one time I was negotiating with the former boss and I was just like, this company says they're going to pay me this much. <laughs> and the other boss just said, everyone's replaceable, David. I'm like, that's how you counter? So, uh, you know, just to remind you. Don't read between the lines too much mm -mm. there, bud. Brutal, brutal truth. Um, no, but uh, and just wanted to talk about uh, the workers a little bit more because either way, that just sucks. And even though they're yeah. getting 60 days of pay and everything, and it is a competitive job market, it's still a huge disruption to their lives. For sure. And, Sucks. Agreed. The one silver lining I would say is if you want to be in product development, having Tesla on your resume, yeah. you're in pretty good shape, I think. That's okay. So one more thing about Tesla is so when we're talking about all these cameras and phones and uh, you know, leaked emails, is that everyone it sounds like everyone wants to work at Tesla and SpaceX and it's so competitive and all the engineers want to go there. If it's so great 
why are all the employees just chomping at the bit to sell intel to the media? Just like, you know, I mean, it's great, but it's also maybe terrible. But it's not all. I mean, you yeah. know, it's just it's they're big companies. So you're going to get those. GM's a big company. So is Boeing. We don't see this with any of those companies. I think it's, just, the I think it's so much easier, though. Yeah. When you look at it, these are, I would say, on average, probably younger engineers that, that they are hiring here at Tesla. Yeah. Um, social media is a bigger part of their day-to-day. When something happens, it's out there and mm-hmm. easy to consume. One of these reporters reaches out and could just be a simple respond, tweeting back at them, direct message them, whatever, and they reply to it. I don't know. I think it's the same at every other company, but it happens at Tesla all the time. I mean- just from what, the way it looks. Well, it's more I mean, but like like yeah. GM, you know, a lot of those workers are unionized. Like this would never happen there. Oh, you know, like it's not that they wouldn't get laid off, but they would have some advance notice. They there would be negotiations, stuff like that. Okay. Like, so I don't know. So I mean, maybe that. No, I mean you're right. Maybe that's an additional layer of uh, protection. Sure. Okay. It's just it just seems odd to me that we don't see it from many other companies, especially major automakers. Um, All right. (laughs) Our next most popular story. Regulators say Phillips 66 unlawfully processed renewable fuel. Phillips 66 has been accused of improperly processing renewable diesel. According to Reuters, regulators with California's Bay Area Air Quality Management District, or the commonly known (laughs) BAAQMD, Safe Phillips 66 committed the act at a refinery in Rodeo or Rodeo, California. Not Rodeo. It is Rodeo, California. Yep. Definitely went through that one earlier. Last year, the refinery began processing small volumes of soybean oil. However, the company didn't alter an air permit that allows for the same type of processing with petroleum feedstocks. Phillips 66 disagreed with the allegation and claims to have submitted an air permit modification request with the very popular BAAQMD. Jeff, your thoughts on the situation between Phillips 66 and the BAAQMD? <laughs> oh, the we love the government acronyms. Mm-hmm, Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You always know it's going to be a good story then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Phillips got caught. It, it seems like they probably did do something wrong from a paperwork perspective yeah. here. Um, they definitely made a mistake. They're getting hammered because they had already had some people who are working against them on the environmental side. Mm-hmm. That's never going to go away. What's interesting is when you look at the product here, the soybean oil, which I really had no working knowledge of until mm-hmm. we were, knew we were going to be talking about a year. If you look at the price of this stuff, um, start of 2019, it was going for 28 cents a pound. This year, at the beginning of this year, it was up to 56 cents a pound. Oh, wow. I mean, it's a huge increase, and it's even hit a high of as much as 88 cents a pound. Oh, So the, the price of this product has gone way up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can appreciate why there may be um, a rush for Phillips to start working at this stuff. I don't know if they were refining it separately or if they're using it as like a feedstock for, for biodiesel or, or whatever. But whatever they had, they're probably looking to use it as soon as they could to, to take advantage of potential market factors. Mm. There's a lot of things going on in Brazil, I guess, some some flooding that has really impacted the harvest of soybeans that mm-hmm. are going to be used for the oil. So there's there are some market factors here. It doesn't cover up what Phillips did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they made a mistake. They should have gone this. I think their thinking was probably, hey, if it's good enough for petroleum refining, yeah. it should be fine for handling soybean oil, mm-hmm. which if you look at it from a pure emissions perspective, it should be. But yeah. There's a reason why we have these checks and balances in place. You got to let people know what you're doing and what you're putting into the air yeah. because there needs to be sort of a historical record of it at a minimum because we've we've learned our lessons about that in the past. 
Agreed. So, Anna, the back MD regulates stationary <laughs> <laughs> regulates stationary sources of air pollution. Uh, what were your thoughts on how this was the situation was handled by both the regulators and Philip sixty six? So, um, you know, I think initially you look at the headline and you read some of the details and you're like, like this is overkill. Why mm-hmm. do we have to probe this? This is an error, oversight, whatever. Yeah. Um, Philip 66 has been investing in soy production, you know, for the last few years, they bought a a minority ownership of a plant in Iowa. Um, They're trying to get into that market. Um, So soybean oil is considered to be like a pretty sustainable, clean burning type fuel. And it has a lot of applications like in in diesel related stuff in in jet fuel, stuff like that. Um, But I think the situation is maybe a little bit more complicated than you see at first blush. Reuters said that, Philip 66 wants the Rodeo project to produce more than 800 million gallons of renewable diesel, renewable gasoline, and sustainable jet fuel annually. But that effort requires increased use of hydrogen, which Mm. can cause flaring events and refineries to malfunction, according to environmental rights groups. Um, So like 10 groups, at least, including the National Resources Defense Council, have complained to California regulators about the additional emissions produced by using more hydrogen to treat feedstocks like soybean oil and animal tallow. These agencies believe emissions might actually increase at this plant because of this process. So, again, it's complicated, right? This Mm -hmm. fuel will burn cleaner in the end, I think, than a fossil fuel, which probably qualifies it for the rebates and tax incentives that these companies are getting to transition. But the process may need a bit more oversight yeah, yeah. to realize that net benefit in the end. And maybe Philip 66 was trying to get around that. Um, And, you know, that's so I think it it was easy looking at the headline to be like, come on, California, Mm -hmm. you know, you're being crazy again with the regulations. But it's 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 highly possible to me looking at that situation that Philip 66 um, kind of knew what they were doing there. Maybe the only reason I disagree with that is because the county approved Philip's plans to convert the Bay area refinery in early May. Right. I know and that so, they did. Yeah. And so that's why I feel like it's just an oversight paperwork issue. Like, uh, and honestly, I think it's issues like this that kind of give people a bad impression of regulators and environmentalists because I mean, I don't know because it doesn't, I understand, you know, you want to make it a big deal up front so that way everything is fixed and nothing goes bad uh, in the long run. But I just, you know, I was reading the story and I'm like, this is what gives people a bad taste in the mouth because it seems like, you know, it looked like they were trying to do things right or maybe missed a step. And as a result, like, you know. I get that. But I think if it's any other industry, maybe you can... Be more passive about that. Play, play the oops card. It's yeah. It's it's petroleum. It's it's oil. I mean, these, this industry, this segment, these guys. Even if it's not Phillips sixty six specifically, they have such a horrible track record when mm-hmm. it comes to safety and environmental regulations that you do have to catch them sooner. Yeah. Even though it may have been a simple mistake. Yeah. They have to know they're going to get hammered. Yeah. They have to know that mm-hmm. this is coming. They, it, this is just due diligence. And I think it also does open them up to greater scrutiny. Look, if you yeah. couldn't even just file the paperwork <laughs> to true. say you got a different filter on here, yeah. what else is going on? Well, yeah. and they did have some situations like flare-ups and and malfunctions and stuff already. Yeah. So, like, clearly there's been an impact from this. And it, I, don't, I don't believe that they don't have the uh, – the team in place to manage this regulatory environment. I don't believe that yeah. they don't. No, it, I, they do have the team. It comes down to like probably 
one really bad compliance officer that's in a lot of trouble right now. (laughs) Like just, I mean, he probably has the software in place where it has all the boxes that need to be checked green in order to Mm -hmm. proceed. And he left that red box. He's like, I'm pretty sure the BAAQMD aren't going to catch that. (laughs) Back one day. And why wouldn't Phillips just be like, my bad. Yeah. Here, check the box. Yeah. We got it. We're good. Sorry. Yeah. Wait, I mean, really? this, this product that we're putting out here just went up like 100% in price. We'll pay the fine. Yeah, we'll deal yep. with this. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, uh, maybe, you know, they said that they submitted the air permit modification request. Maybe you got lost in the mail. You know? Maybe their dog David, ate it. Yeah. Sticking up for big oil. I mean, thought? somebody needs to do it. I mean, sometimes you have to take what big oil <laughs> says and just take it for face value. I'm sure it's the truth. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'll help you with this. Moving on to our next story. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our next story. <laughs> Can you talk more about BAAQMD? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, manufacturers are struggling to keep pace with vinyl record demand. On October 1st, 1982, the first commercial compact disc, Billy Joel's 52nd Street, was released in Japan. 1982? I know, that was surprisingly early. When compact discs came on the scene, they nearly killed the record album business. Vinyl pressing machines were sold, scrapped, and dismantled by major record labels. It has been 40 years, and now, with CDs fading into oblivion, vinyl record sales are experiencing double-digit annual growth. Manufacturers are rebuilding, with dozens of new factories, but it's still not enough to keep pace with sales that reached $1 billion last year. Record album sales revenue grew 61% in 2021 and reached $1 billion for the first time since the 1980s. Oh, see? Because Billy Joel sunk him. When the resurgence happened, manufacturers had to start nearly from scratch. There are now 40 plants in the U.S. Most of them are smaller operations, but challenges remain. For example, backlogs are six to eight months because of growing demand, and supply chain disruptions of raw materials, including vinyl polymers, have caused problems. Also, only a handful of companies, none in the U.S., make record-pressing machines, which are also on back order. So, how does your vinyl collection stand right now, Anna? It's it's not great. Um, I have a few. Yeah? Yeah, I... I did enjoy this story because, you know, it's like the nostalgia part of it is very interesting. And I grew up like listening to my parents, Led Zeppelin records and mm-hmm. dancing around in my mom's high heels. But um, awesome. uh, I enjoyed there was a line in the story that I don't think you dropped in your intro, but um, it was it really got me thinking. It said nostalgic baby boomers who missed thumbing through record albums in their local record stores helped to fuel a vinyl resurgence that started 15 years ago. Mm hmm. And I have a very controversial take on this, but here goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's rebuild all the blockbusters. Because (laughs) I didn't know we could revive an entire dead industry just because of nostalgia for physical browsing. Yeah. Because I hate selecting content on my TV. Mm -hmm. Like I have no attention span for that. I very unlikely to try something new or read the description or any of that. Yeah, um, just put friends on again. Yeah, I know. Wow. That's exactly and like, oh, I guess the office. Let's just, yeah. yeah. It's just, I, like I miss the rental experience. I, I, I worked at a video store in high school, uh, Hollywood Video. Oh yeah, of course. Remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can still like smell it when I close my eyes, like the candy, the box candy and like the shrink wrap machine. 
Yeah. I want to go back there. The plastic uh, shell, how it clicked when he closed it. I know. Exactly. Um, oh, so you even go back to VHS. You don't, I guess, well, I guess the DVD. Yeah. They, they too. both clicked. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They both clicked. And, um, you know, arguing with people about their fines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know, like I, like the story is very interesting to me and it makes me think about like all the other products out there that could eventually have a resurgence based on people's nostalgia. Although this is very rare. What was crazy about this though, was that it was nostalgia and baby boomers that propped it up for like 15 years. And yeah. then millennials came in and just, uh, grabbed onto it, like indie bands in particular, you know, that wanted something cool right. at their merch tables uh, are the ones that then kind of carried, uh, took the torch from baby boomers. Exactly. And I think like once something uh, falls out of fashion for long enough, it res- there's a resurgent with, with that other resurgence with that younger crowd. Mm-hmm. So maybe like blockbuster 2035, mm-hmm. if anybody's Jeff, you're shaking no, your head. I never don't happen. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen either, but I mean, I, I am here for it if it does. It's just saying. By 2035, there's probably going to be a lot of easily available retail space. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, you That's might even. That's true. That's true. You could probably even get like some sort of nonprofit blockbuster going just for historical purposes. That's true. Well, and like the other thing that was interesting about this story is they talked about um, Jack White, who was oh, the, yeah. you know, he's a solo artist now, but he was the singer in the White Stripes. And like, I'm a huge fan of his. But he's a Detroit guy. He's from there. Mm -hmm. And he built uh, or he started some record pressing um, companies in Detroit. And Mm -hmm. he sort of uh, spearheaded this effort to try to plead with the industry to like rebuild itself. And he really did help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to have a champion also. And so I don't know who that champion will be for the DVD rental business. But if you need someone, I will (laughs) gladly take on that role. How is going to a video store different than scrolling through your TV? It's It's so so much different. It's so much different because it's like, you know, it's sorry, go ahead. Like, no, go. I'm with you. It's taking, it's uh, taking the video, the each case, like you are off the shelf, flipping it back, reading the back of it. Um, It's walking. It's like, how is that better than watching a trailer? It's, it is just, it is a wholly different experience. I'll give you that. Um, and it is honestly, um, when you're scrolling through like Netflix or any other streaming platform, it's just an annoyance. Like, uh, I disagree. Okay. I mean, uh, but I mean, two out of three though. Yeah. So yeah, see, <laughs> I, I was two out of three and hundreds of millions of other people who'd never have gone to a bar. No, no, no. But she's also <laughs> like, I mean, to your point, uh, Anna. So Jeff, vinyl seeing better growth in streaming. There are even reports that cassettes are coming back now, too. Ridiculous. And so, I mean, uh, that blockbuster. It sounded better to you now, Mm -hmm. isn't it? No. Um, (laughs) Vinyl, actually, I think this is a little bit more of a slow burn. I mean, it definitely has taken off recently, but I can remember Pearl Jam. Uh, I think it was the Vitalogy album. That was like, it was like Eddie Vedder getting out there and really pushing vinyl. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of helped preserve a little bit from everything going completely dark. Uh, that was one records. of their worst albums too. Yeah. yeah. It was not, not great. <laughs> Agreed. I don't know. You should listen to Earthling. Um, Eddie Vedder's new one. So, so kind of interesting that it has taken off. And I know this from personal experience. My daughter, that's what I got her for, uh, for her birthday last year. Oh, that's right. Was a couple of records. When you were asking about what albums to get her, like it was just like, you were just like, uh, you lit a fuse in the office as to like what two albums, you know, yeah. should you get? Yeah. With Nirvana. Damn so, straight. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. It is cool. I don't know about bringing back Blockbuster, but it's definitely cool to see some of these older technologies or ways of doing things that are perceived as better. I'm not an audiophile in any way, shape, or form, but everybody seems to say the sound on the record is mm-hmm. better than anything digital or whatever. I think it was was it Neil Young? 
who basically refused to kind mm-hmm. of put some of his catalog out there on digital because he didn't like the way it sounded. Yeah. So it's it's definitely, you know, a growing voice in terms of audio consumption or music consumption. What's also kind of interesting is in the article, we talked about a place in Nashville that's putting on like a $15 million expansion to handle this increased demand. There's another place in Memphis that's actually doing $30 million expansion yeah. to handle all these records. And the thing that I thought was kind of cool is they're waiting on 34 of these presses to mm-hmm. create the records that only come from, uh, I think, is it the UK? I think that's I the only place so. that they're yeah. made. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Also, records actually have better margins than CDs, yeah. profitability-wise. So maybe for some of those smaller retailers that are still kind of hanging out here and there, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of cool too. I like it. A lot of it is ceremonial. You know, it's uh, taking the record out of the sleeve, putting it on the player, dropping the needle and listening. Uh, Jeff, the same as you, I'm not an audiophile where, I mean, I understand that it is a different listening experience, but it's not that much more rich for me uh, to buy vinyl, you know? Um, But I mean, don't get me wrong. I inherited a bunch of records, mostly that are uh, old bluegrass from my grandpa. And I love sitting down listening to those. I got some of my mother's records too. Mm -hmm. I actually have the 52nd Street as a record. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not the, not the CD. I probably got that too. But uh, the one thing that I I love the records for is the artwork. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I liked, yeah. Just opening it. um, Like uh, the ones that had the, uh, all the liner notes sort of just right on the cardboard. And then some that had, you know, uh, I had a, the John Denver one that came with like this four panel fold out yeah. of John Denver and just like a <laughs> we weird shit. Yeah, we remember but, the poster you had yeah. in the office. But there's absolutely nothing interesting about a digital release of an album. You no, know, that's yeah. like you miss all that stuff. And I feel like maybe that was underestimated when the industry transitioned. And I know why they did, obviously, but um, just the feel and opening it up yeah. and the liner notes and the lyrics and the extras and all that stuff. People like that stuff, especially if you're a big fan of that band, you know? No, agreed. I just, you know, I just backed uh, Murder by Death's new album on Kickstarter mm-hmm. and I backed the uh, level that I get an actual physical CD. Yeah. And it's, I mean, because part of me, it is the ceremony of like, you know, op- like how you have that, like, specific way you can open the plastic with using your fingernails and just one uh like two moves there's yeah like uh because i agree like i i know that it is a sign of my age but i like to have something tangible for a purchase Hmm. not always not always like there's plenty of music out there where like i gotta buy a dollar song for my kids i don't need like a hard copy of that i just need it in the catalog see i like having fewer objects yeah, yeah. I like the digital better. But if it's a band that you are really into, like, I mean, I would buy the CD also if it's something that I really like or okay. the record. But I mean, to your point, because you also feel like it's you're supporting, you're part of that community that surrounds that mm-hmm. band. Yeah. So I looked into uh, Precision Record Pressing. You had mentioned uh, Memphis Record Pressing, Gotta Groove Records. They're all hiring. Uh, multiple multiple positions from floor to management to warehouse. And I mean, these positions are as basic as a vinyl sleever. But uh, most of them need press operators. And these are basic skills. Anyone can essentially work one as long as uh, they can pay attention to detail. And uh, But they're hiring on all three shifts. So if you want to get into the industry, I mean, now is the time. The only one that's not actively hiring on its website is Third Man Pressing. from, mm. And that's Jack White's outfit. Yeah. But I feel like that's just because, I mean, I would apply there. Cool so factor. I could work with Jack yep. White. Well, it's kind of interesting too, as you mentioned. Of course, you mentioned the pressing and stuff. Like you'd think those would be the jobs that maybe paid a little bit more. They're like twenty to twenty-five bucks an hour. Actually, everything in distribution and shipping 
Mm-hmm. They're paying like ten to fifteen dollars oh. more an hour because you got a baby. That could you admit? Oh, because they need to get it out the door. I'm assuming. You know, I don't know. I mean, I gotta th- I gotta say that if you want to be in that industry, even being like a vinyl sleever, that's a hard sell. Ooh, yeah. That's a hard sell. Um, in November, Adele was actually accused of breaking this resurgent vinyl supply chain uh, because she had more than five hundred thousand records for her new album Thirty pressed, and it left all of these indie labels in limbo. Oh no. And so that's like, so now basic, I'm kind of curious to see what happens because the boomers pass it off to the millennials who propped it back up. And it's this holy resurgent industry to the point now where like the Adele's and huge acts want big numbers produced. And now the people that kind of propped up the industry can't get their music pressed as a result. So we'll see it fade a little bit. Mm. Um, One record presser did say that this unprecedented demand that we've seen in vinyl was tangling the supply chain even before the pandemic and before Adele broke everything. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's it's I Adele think Adele ruins everything. I think that, you know, once people that are buying vinyl start seeing that you can only buy popular artists in a Walmart, mm-hmm. maybe it might not be so cool anymore. Yeah. All right. That's when they start going to video stores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Just kill time. Yep. We can do it. Let's retire and uh, open a Blockbuster. Sounds good. I'm in. I have. We can just Let's use my catalog. You three. Franchisees. You two and Eric will be there. Yeah. All right. Working on that this week. <laughs> All right. Our next most popular story. Solar patio umbrellas recalled after bursting into flames. Sun Villa is recalling 400,000 solar LED market umbrellas sold only at Costco stores in the U.S. and another 33,000 that were sold in Canada. The problem is that lithium-ion batteries in the umbrella's solar panels, which power the LED lights, can overheat and burst into flames. The company has received reports of solar panels catching fire while charging and umbrellas catching fire while the solar panel puck overheated, caught fire. As always, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission said, Stop using it and get it out of the sun. Costco is offering full refunds, even if you don't return them. Anna, when are people going to stop buying junk? Wow. <laughs> There's a question. Uh, no. What, okay. So we cover a lot of recalls and stuff like that. Yeah. One of my impressions when I looked at this story and I looked at the photos and I looked at the page that sold them and I'm like, who buys these? And then I see a number like 400,000. I'm like, oh, geez, a lot of people. A lot of people, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And the thing that scares me the most about this type of story is how the burden is now on the retailer to inform their customers. Yeah. And And, luckily, it's Costco that actually has a closer connection with the customers. Right. Exactly. Because even in the best of circumstances, I think we know how that goes. Like, you know, for example, we just received an automotive recall um, notification. It's basically like a postcard that looks just like any other marketing direct send for a dealership or a car maker. And it's super easy to miss that. And I think we know based on the efficacy of the recalls for the Takata airbags, Mm. which was pretty abysmal for a long time. I think they're over 70% now fixed of what's been recalled, Mm. but that still leaves like a good quarter of recalled vehicles that have not been brought in for a fix. And this recall started in like 2013 or 2014 or something. That's not great. Um, I think like the process is not really getting the job done. Right. (laughs) Um, People miss them. They move on. Other, you know, um, Costco's having to 
track people down to tell them that their umbrellas start on fire. <laughs> um, it's just scary to think about how many of them won't be reached. And I think the media does have a responsibility to kind of help publicize these types of events, unfortunately, because they feel sensational. Um, but but the average person may not know about this recall. They're not checking the FDA and the NHTSA and other agency sites to find out that this stuff is occurring. Like as an example of this, I was browsing recently the FDA recall roll for my job mm-hmm. <laughs> and discovered that uh, a hand sanitizer geared towards children with Mickey Mouse on it um, was recalled for containing benzene, which is oh, a known yeah. carcinogen. Yep. And I actually had this product in my home. Like yeah. it was gifted to my child. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the recall campaigns, they put so much onus on the consumer to find out that information when their homes are filled with literally thousands of products. Yeah. Think, you know, how would we ever find out about that? Yeah. We were gifted that product. You know what I mean? It's just stuff yeah. like that, that it just like, it's bothersome to me that these umbrellas are lighting on fire <laughs> yes. and no one knows about it yeah. unless Costco can find them. Yeah. Um, or they see it in the news. I had almost the exact same uh, situation because uh, we cover the, um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of product development, product safety. And after the story came out, you know, I was just scrolling uh, those kind of uh, folding chairs. Um, There's one that sits sort of like a hammock instead of just a normal chair. Uh, Yeah, that was recalled. Those are sitting around our fireplace up north. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently they can break. And when they break, there's just a bunch of posts that'll jab into you. So, uh, you know, I... (laughs) It was one of those where, like, I uh, sent it out to everybody in the family, like, yo, next time you're giving it a sit, easy. Beware. But, I mean, to your point, Anna, there is so much on the consumer. And, Jeff, the, a lot of times, if it wasn't for our job, we wouldn't know. We know that. And mm-hmm. and I think of how you go to, like, a customer service uh, station in any retailer, and you just see that wall of recalls, and you kind of give it a glance, like, okay, I don't have that wagon. I'm fine. <laughs> Well, at least you're looking at the wall of recalls. I have to admit, I've never even done that. So, excuse oh, me. that's only when I'm at <clears throat> customer service. So yeah. that means I've already had a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, I think this is this these types of situations could potentially become a bigger issue now that we're in this age of superinflation, mm-hmm. because you are going to look at cost as a bigger determining factor for a lot of these types of purchases. If you see it yeah. as sort of a commodity type item, which to be honest, if you're looking at this, and I think this is one of the biggest differentiations, say between like my parents' generation and my kids' generation. Mm-hmm. If my dad would have looked at this and gone, wait a minute, you're going to put something that's going to put lights, that's going to light up these lights using the sun on a piece of fabric. Mm-hmm. No, I am not buying that. Yeah. My generation goes, uh, I don't know, maybe I could work. I don't know. You know, My kids would be like, that's awesome. I don't yeah. have to take a light out there. This mm-hmm. is super great. So there's that sort of difference in terms of buying into a lot of this different technology, which is solar. You know, people are going to get excited about that. Don't have to worry about the inconvenience, if you will, of taking a light out there. It's already there. Um, But balancing that against just practical knowledge and understanding and going, yeah, this doesn't look right. Yeah. Like this, this does not sit well. I was surprised too. 400,000 of these things. Yeah. You have to think these must have been popular with like resorts or something Mm -hmm. like that to get that type of scale. Yeah. And again, to get that type of scale recalled and out of there so we aren't potentially starting things on fire. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge. And like I said, I think it's going to be a bigger one. We see more of these lower cost items come onto the market and they start looking better and better mm-hmm. because things are costing more now. When we're not talking about like an impulse buy here, they were retailed for 130 to $160. Yeah. So, you know, the, are expensive. Yeah. And I mean, 
I just think that just because something is being sold doesn't mean it's safe. And kind of that generational difference that you're talking about, Jeff, I think there's a more of a trust in general yeah. in manufacturers uh, that no matter what, if you can buy something, it means it's inherently yeah, safe. It's on the shelf. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. Sometimes you have to trust your gut. Like for me, all I had to do was look at a photo of this thing and been like, not on my yeah, wooden yeah, porch. But like, I mean, talking about those chairs, uh, you can see a difference in quality with anything that you buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's incremental. And so that way you can take the lower cost options. Sometimes it's huge. And you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to wind up spending more because I'm going to wind up buying five of these instead of one high quality one. Um, I also just wanted to point out that this was a made in China product. Uh, outside of it looking like trash, it was kind of tacky. And it's also sold at Wayfair, Amazon and Home Depot. So while it wasn't the specific one, it's like the identical product is at other outlets. So, you know, mm-hmm. buyer beware. I didn't think it looked that bad aesthetically, yeah. but just the whole concept yeah. Should have set off some flags. I guess. But I think people are accustomed to putting like we have those like stake in solar lights in our backyard. I think yeah. those are pretty commonly sold at this point. And people looking at that as a comparison item oh, might see yeah. that as like, oh, this technology is established for this type of application. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Um, OK, don't trust anything with a external solar puck. Solar puck. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what a puck is. But when you're absorbing that much heat and it's against the fabric. That's probably not great. Yeah. Yeah. These solar lights are like they're on metal. They yeah. are not like attached to your home either. Just well, and they're also well, no. So <laughs> and you're well, not like sitting directly beneath underneath it. them. But yeah. like those solar lights, you're talking about like a tiny solar panel on the top, probably a very small element that you know lights the LED at night. Mm-hmm. Talking probably talking about way less power. Than, oh, for sure. You know this umbrella that has like they had the LEDs running up and down the uh, underneath the umbrella, so mm-hmm. it could you know. I just think like, my, I guess my point is like, there are lots of applications for solar that are very safe and proven to be very safe. True. So I can see why people are like, oh, this is a thing now that we can do yeah. with solar. Gotcha. And then find out the hard way that <laughs> it's not. True. And then wonder what's on fire. Why is my house on fire? <laughs> All right. Our next most popular story, our actual most popular story this week, major aluminum manufacturer shuts down. The Century Aluminum Plant in Hawesville, Kentucky, is shutting down production due to rising energy costs. The company said the plant idling is the, quote, direct result of skyrocketing energy costs, specifically blaming the Russian war in Ukraine for the dramatic increase. The production stoppage will impact some 628 workers who will be laid off at the second largest employer in the area. The company will close the smelter for 9 to 12 months beginning today until energy prices return to normal levels. The company only gave employees about three days notice. According to the company, the plant is the largest U.S. smelter and the largest producer of high-purity aluminum in America, North America. The aluminum is used extensively in the defense industry as well as in aerospace applications. For example, it's used in F-16s, naval war vessels, Boeing 747s, and even the International Space Station. Jeff, Jesse Gary, president and CEO of Century Aluminum, said power costs have more than tripled the historical average in a very short period. Still, he remains confident that the smelter could reopen once prices stabilize. However, he didn't say that they absolutely will return. Yeah, um, I don't know, Jesse. I'm a little suspect here. <laughs> um, aluminum prices, first of all, have reached a historic 
level. Mm -hmm. Like aluminum is more expensive now. It was in March anyway than it ever has been. So the price that they can get for their product is still very, very good. You also put in the fact that inventory levels are super low right now. This is a product that is in demand and catches a very good price. Mm -hmm. And you're shutting down because of energy prices that everybody is seeing. Yeah. Now, looking at some factors, looking at a couple of different um, statistics and comparisons and all that, Kentucky, when you look at the price of commercial energy, mm-hmm. okay, as well as residential, really, they're very similar. Kentucky is probably in the bottom third in terms of pricing. Really? So they are not one of the most expensive energy hubs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They do have a lot of reliability issues. They're definitely in probably the bottom third in terms of reliability. So if you want to look at energy concerns there, it would seem it's less about cost and more about reliability. Mm-hmm. But this this facility, this company also has three other plants. They've got another one in Kentucky. They've got one, I believe, in South Carolina. And they've got one in Iceland, of all places. Oh. So they're not shutting the business down. Yeah. It feels like there's something going on here, whether yeah. it is the quantity that they're trying to produce. There's other some other sort of type of issue. We write and we run a ton of articles talking about enterprise visibility, understanding what's going on within your enterprise, understanding things that are coming down the pike in terms of price increases, and making sure all of that data is visible to all the key players, not just locked into the purchasing people or whatever, uh, the, the production people. It's Everybody can see all of this stuff coming, and they can adjust accordingly. It really seems like something was dropped here. Yeah. Either there's a bigger issue we don't know about, or they did not account for these price increases from an energy perspective further out in front that they needed to make a real knee-jerk reaction all of a sudden here yeah. in order to potentially, I don't know, save the company. Because yeah. that's what it seems like you would have to do to lay 600 people off with less than a week's notice. Yeah. Uh, it's, it doesn't seem right. And then, and then blame uh, a war overseas. Well, in, a, in an issue that every single person, forget manufacturing, mm-hmm. any business, any individual is dealing with higher energy costs right, right now. Yeah. This is not exclusive to them or Kentucky or, or that industry. No, I think that's a really good point that uh, a ball must have been dropped to not foresee this. And you're right. It does seem more like a knee-jerk reaction. Um, Anna, what were your thoughts on uh, what happened with Century Aluminum? Yeah, I think Jeff made some really good points. I agree mm-hmm. that this maybe doesn't past the smell test, um, you know, temporary shutdowns as they're positioning this based on energy prices, this is going to have huge ramifications on their workforce. I mean, it's hard to believe that the bulk of your workforce is going to just stick around for a year or until energy prices return to normal. Yeah. um, Whatever that is. Uh, That's not going to be easy as just like flipping a switch when you decide that you are ready to go again. Um, And we know like, you know, it's so it's described as like the second biggest employer in the area. I think it's clear in the last two years we've learned a lot about how other industries are more effectively uh, recruiting the type of workers that were typically drawn to manufacturing jobs, whether that's because pay is increasing in other areas like retail and warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just been the case. We've seen people flee manufacturing for that. Right. Um Hawesville is right on the Indiana border. There's lots of small towns around here. There's a big Walmart that's advertising jobs for drivers at $87,000 a year. Oh, geez. There's, you know, there's competition anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't think that these workers are going to wait around. Um, you know, the one of the first things I thought of, and I agree with you, I think that there's other things going on here to, I mean, this doesn't make sense to just pull the pin like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's never been a better time to increase the price of your product yeah. because everyone is yeah. Yeah. doing that. Right. Um, and, you know, we've talked in the past about these companies that 
either they're publicly traded or they're um, they're you know, private shareholders uh, or private equity or whatever is expecting a certain return. Maybe they're running a little bit too lean. Maybe they don't have the cash to infuse in the situation that they should. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is, um, you know, hampering their ability to operate if that's the case. I don't know. Here's the other thing, just kind of throwing this past you guys. If you've got four facilities, Mm -hmm. wouldn't it make sense to maybe consolidate and shut down the smaller ones as opposed to the bigger one too? Yeah. I mean, I understand if you're looking to cut costs, maybe that big, but it just seems from an efficiency perspective, it yeah. would make well, more sense to run one bigger plant yeah. than three smaller ones. Well, I don't know. And where, how far, how much further away is that other plant in Kentucky? Like, I mean, they have to that be feeling check, the same pinch. You would think. Right? I mean, yeah, I should have looked that up as well. <laughs> I wrote this up. <laughs> um, so both of you guys agree that this story doesn't pass the smelt test. I knew you were going to drop it. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not. Um, no, talking about the skyrocketing uh, aluminum prices, when we ran this, I was surprised. Well, I wasn't surprised, but like it had a tremendous um, response on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was uh, a lot more people read this than we see in an average week. And a lot more people reached out directly saying that, hey, this is scary because we are already seeing orders canceled due to the cost of material and anything with this industry, it's already very volatile Mm -hmm. and this is just not a good sign. Uh Um, And Anna, to your point, uh, one of the people that commented on the site, Jim, he said, you know, once you lose your employees, they're probably gone for good. Yep. Jim, I agree. Yeah. It is just wishful thinking to think that you can sit around for nine to 12 months. And then, I mean, unless you are paying them full wages, you know, right. um, It is just a tremendous risk. Yeah. Well, and right next door in Virginia, we talked last week about Lego coming in, or two weeks ago, Lego building a, what, $3 billion facility, too. Yeah. So. No, it's, uh, I'm I'm hoping to, like, uh, we can kind of continue to follow the story and see if anything else comes out. You know, like you said, maybe there's something uh, a little little bit worse under the hood going on. Well, it'll be interesting if anybody at place, any other manufacturers in Kentucky sort of take this route as well or feel these pressures. Remember, Kentucky, I mean, that's coal country. So mm-hmm. they are one of the high, they are still one of the, as a percentage of energy that is dependent upon coal, Kentucky is in the top five. Yeah. So it looks like they have Century Aluminum in Hawesville. And then there was another one in Robards, Kentucky, which it doesn't seem like it's that far away. Are you looking at a very small map? <laughs> I mean, it it's like this far away. It's only, it's only like, a, it's only yeah, like, it's, like, it's only like, away. like a quarter inch away, guys. <laughs> Look at it. I mean, <laughs> we have no idea how far away it is. Yeah. No, it's uh, my Google skills aren't quick enough. Uh, the, my arthritis. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to, in case you missed it, uh, stories that, you know, were not as popular on the website, but do still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. We have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0300. 
1-800-227-5834. All right, and we're back. And we had a little bit more time to look that up. Anna, what'd you find? Uh, it looks like the other plant is 55 miles away. So not a terrible jaunt, especially if you're coming from that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe there's just a hard line in between those that is owned <laughs> by two different, like, very different energy companies. Yeah. Maybe there's like a bridge troll <laughs> in between there. We don't know. That's got to be what's doing it. Yeah. That's got to be what's doing it. All right. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it. The stories, like I said, that maybe weren't as popular on the websites, but still stand to make an impact on the industry going forward. And I'd like to start with you. What's your in case you missed it this week? All right. So we ran a story earlier this week. Uh, the headline was about one in five engineering degrees go to women. Despite various efforts to encourage more women to study STEM fields in college, the percentage of engineering bachelor's degrees earned by women in the United States hasn't really budged much in this century. Specifically, it has risen from 18% in 1998 to 22% in 2018. So four percentage points in 20 years. Uh, So the question is posed, why aren't women going into engineering? And if there's anything that can be done to help women to, uh, you know, studying engineering to kind of stay on that track, because uh, the Society of Women Engineers is reporting that over 32 percent of female STEM majors switch to another major while they're Mm -hmm. in college. Um, Research shows that that rate is typically higher than the rate at which men leave engineering. And of the women who do leave engineering um, as a profession, 30 percent cite that the workplace environment is the reason. a 2017 study of over 5,000 women who earned bachelor's degrees in engineering found that 10% never entered the field and 27% left the profession. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Some really interesting statistics there. I bring this up because I think that when there's a lot of media coverage around evening the playing field or these sort of ad hoc stories about this female exec here or there, yeah, we run the risk of assuming that these problems are solved or being solved and that the efforts to level the playing field, whatever that means, are being effective. But as you can see here, there's a lot of nuance as to why these women are being left out of the field of engineering. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more than just uh, are we interviewing enough women for these roles type of issue. Clearly, there are problems both before that and after that in college and in the workforce that make women back away from this field. And as the article states... Um, companies benefit from a gender diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. So there's benefit far beyond that for just these individuals. So I think that this approach has to start at the college level and also carry over from the HR department Mm -hmm. because it's more than just a, you know, what is your hiring process, but clearly also what is your culture and is it tenable for a female workforce? And I think sometimes that's what's getting lost here is that, you know, they're looking at how do we hire more, but It, clearly, the problem is is not necessarily just the hiring part, but it's the retention part. And is your culture suitable? Um, I don't know that people know how to quantify and and characterize their culture effectively. That's a very difficult thing yeah. Yeah. to uh, identify and fix if there is a problem to fix. Mm-hmm. But it starts with talking to your employees and probably talking to these women, finding out what they need to be supported and to feel supported in this career path, because it's not working right now what we're doing i completely agree like uh the feedback i think would be crucial and i think it's such a lazy argument to just say women don't want to be engineers Uh 
It's, I mean, that's what we hear all the time. It's uh, but when you see how many women are get long into the process from an education standpoint, and then even into the workforce, and then there's the abandonment, that's when you have to really take a look in the mirror and understand that that is a culture issue. Right. It is, you know, uh, you know, a person doesn't pursue an engineering degree and an engineering career and then decide to switch because all of a sudden, you know what? Women just don't want to be engineers. Or they want to be stay-at-home moms now, but, you know, you're not looking at, like, is your workforce not supportive of somebody who is trying to, you know, be a parent and also work? I mean, a lot of workforces are not, so. Right. Um, Jeff, what were your thoughts on this story? Well, I think the most telling part is, I forget the, the number, but the statistic that says people, or women, excuse me, are getting out of the engineering field because of the workplace environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what's concerning. I think in the past, these articles were, they didn't get paid attention to as much because the statistic was more, they're not interested. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not the problem anymore. The problem is the workplace environment, which means, you know what? Old white guys like me need to pay attention to this stuff because we're doing something wrong. And in an environment where we're looking for better workers, more qualified workers to try to get a competitive advantage and also just to be better, Mm -hmm. you're missing the boat. If you're no, if you have, if you're doing something wrong within your company where women just don't feel comfortable being there, mm-hmm. you got to yeah. fix that. Yeah, you're yeah. missing out on a huge pool of talent. I've got one daughter looking to study biology, another one thinking about physics. Those aren't engineering specific, but they're definitely within that STEM field or mm-hmm. that realm. Um, it's concerning to hear things like that because if they don't want to do that, great. Mm-hmm. I mean, my old, my youngest daughter, she unfortunately inherited my math and science skills. <laughs> so I don't think she's going there. Yeah. But if they don't want to do that, it's because they don't want to do it. Not yeah. because they feel uncomfortable in that environment. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's really opening. No. And we've seen, we've seen a lot of companies make strides in terms of uh, really taking a hard look and trying to change the culture, trying to change uh, fringe benefits to make people, you know, feel better in the work uh, workforce. I mean, sometimes it also comes to the individual workers, I don't know, just being better, being better. Yeah. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. taking it easier. I don't know. Yeah. Um, And it is, I get it because nobody wants to be told that what they're doing isn't right or what they're doing is, you know, harming somebody else. But like, sometimes you need to look at like, just because it's the way you've always done it, it doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it going forward. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. My, in case you missed it this week, a new technology that turns the whole fish into food. So, Whoa. yeah, it's common <laughs> in the meat industry to use the entire animal for food products. But that's not the case for fish, as more than half of the weight of the fish ends up as side streams that never reach our plates. And the reason I really wanted to do this story was because uh, it made me think of this fishing charter that I did with my family. And we just caught so many big fish. And I'm like, we're eating fish for years. And they uh, fillet it right on the boat. Mm -hmm. And it's just like fillet, fillet, rest of the fish goes back in the lake. And you're like, oh, I feel like I could have done something with that. All right, that's fine. You're wrapping it for me. Okay, okay. So food researchers at Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden have created a new sorting technology that gets five good cuts from fish, not just the fillet. The new method is already being used as a her- at a herring processing uh, plant in Sweden. When the fillet itself is removed from a fish, valuable side streams or other parts that are typically left behind can now be used as nuggets, mints, protein isolates, or omega-3 rich oils. Mints. Mints. 
Yes. Talk about things that need to be rebranded. What are you doing? I'm in the mince business. Oh, why do you smell so bad? Fish mince, even worse. Typically, these side streams are used in animal feed or just thrown away. And sometimes they wind up being mixed with more premium fillets. So at Sweden Pelagic, the company testing this new technology, the company estimates that it will produce 200 to 300 metric tons of mince from one of the new cuts. Just one. The company plans to increase that figure year over year. But if this is just a small case study pilot, I think there is a lot to be gained here in the uh, fish processing industry. And I just, I don't know. I like it when a new technology comes out that uh, makes makes more out of uh, what they're using, the raw material. And it was just, it was crazy to me how much of the fish was being uh, either thrown away or used in animal feed. Is this like the meat that's still on the fish after they do the fillets? Or yeah. are they talk, they're not talking about like the head and the bones and stuff like that. Sounds like the whole fish, Jeff. No, it's, I think. Uh, it's the fish version of hot dogs. I know this is a, like a real core issue for you, Anna. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, hey, I, something you're very close to. I hate waste. I mean, I think this is like cool that they're, I mean, why waste all that stuff if you can use it? Well, um, and, and profitably. And yeah. profitably. Like, uh, I, as uh, I try to be really mindful as a carnivore, and when I buy chickens and beef and pork, I try and use the entire animal all the way down to um, boiling the bones down for stock. You know, it's just, it started as a challenge with chickens, and now mm-hmm. I just kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I find it like pleasing to know that I've at sure. least used everything. Sure. Um, and this seems like there was an, a huge waste stream that now is going to be monetized by these companies and possibly more uh, uh, fish fingers, <laughs> which are delicious. Well, it's always better to use your natural resources as wisely as possible. It's mm-hmm. kind of alarming that there's that much left. I mean, when we go fishing, I mean, we're doing those fillets right down to the bone. So yeah, yeah it's going to kind of amazing on a commercial level that this is happening yeah um and i know it doesn't seem like you know that groundbreaking of a story but i mean fish is a huge industry hey yeah absolutely are you do you have any good like fish bone jello recipes or i i don't like i admittedly same with jeff like i don't uh um i don't use well actually what we do is uh, when we fish, typically for bluegills, yeah. um, we'll cut the fillets off and fry those for fish fry. And then we'll use the remaining gills to go and um, fish for um, crawfish. Sure, yeah. Um, and then when you, see, when you see the bones that come out of that crawfish trap, you know everything's been used. Yeah, yeah. Everything's been used. I mean, or if not, you just try and get them far enough away from the cottage so that way you're not attracting bears next to your kids. Uh, I was going to say raccoons, but bears, wow. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we had, uh, when I was gone last week, um, I came uh, I came out of the cottage and everybody just kind of looked at me like, hey, like, uh, what's going on? And you could tell that like maybe they were scared. Um, they're like, so something was in the water, in the lake, swimming. And all we could see that was the head. We think it was probably like maybe a beaver or like a muskrat, but it was a big head. Like maybe, oh. maybe it was a bear. I'm like, what are we talking? Like, we've never seen a bear Is this a there. great outdoors story? Well, we've never, like, uh, they're like, you know, maybe it was just a cub. I'm like, all right. It's do, you, do you know that two thirds of the bear, the black bears in Wisconsin live in the, th- Third, upper third qu- quadrant of the state. Oh yeah, uh, I believe. So it. that's where they are. Yeah. Well, and I've seen 
um, not directly on the property, but I've seen uh, bear cubs before. Mm -hmm. This one time I was driving and this thing just came tumbling down a hill and rolled right into the middle of the road. And it was this little tiny ball of fur. I'm like, what is that? And it just popped up and it was like the most adorable little bear cub with like the little ears. I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, mama's coming somewhere. Yeah. Get out of here. But uh, no. So, uh, you know. I mean, they're up there, but you don't see them a lot. Mm-hmm. You're loud. You're fine. Um, Jeff, what is your, in case you missed it this week? So I was thinking about my dad a lot this uh, week, obviously. I, I think maybe just from that last story. Then when I saw this one, definitely thought of him because he loved fireworks. Mm. I mean, he was the one who was out in the in like the driveway with like the value pack from the grocery yeah. store or whatever, oh, yeah. lighting all that <laughs> stuff off. And my daughters would love it. So when I looked about this one and the article was about fireworks prices are potentially skyrocketing this year. Mm-hmm. So the fireworks have been on this sort of weird roller coaster ride in terms of pricing. 2020, the ones that you could buy and set off in your backyard legally, illegally, gray area there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually, they were in huge demand because there wasn't any like big municipal displays or anything like that. So people were doing this stuff on their own. Last year that lightened up a little bit. There was more of those bigger displays. So the domestic market or the backyard market kind of cooled a little bit. Mm. There wasn't as much of a demand. This year, they're sort of both. So the thought was, well, the prices should go down because there's going to be more people going to see the municipal displays, Mm -hmm. maybe fewer people doing stuff in the backyard. Well, with inflation, like it's hit fireworks really hard. So if you're into these fireworks displays or these fireworks and doing the stuff in your backyard or on your driveway or whatever, the prices are expected to be up like 12% this year. Mm. Oh my goodness. So some of those things, the other thing to be careful of if you are into this, you're not only going to pay a little bit more, mm. but the uh, number of fireworks related injuries could also increase. So please be careful if you mm. are buying some of the lower priced fireworks, mm-hmm. kind of like the story we had about the umbrellas catching fire. If you're buying a lower cost option, please be careful. Please yeah. be safe. Oh, so man. I feel like the El Diablo fireworks that I buy at the local pantry up North are perfectly They're perfectly safe. fine. No yeah. worries there. You know, they give you two tubes. So if the first one stands on a slant, <laughs> you always know, just use the other one. Well, my dad would, it would be like, what are you doing? Because it wouldn't light. Like mm-hmm. the fuse would burn down like half the way and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he'd be the one. Nah, rah, rah, I know every get time. Up there and make sure it lit. No, it's, I love lighting off fireworks off of our pier. Um, even if only sometimes just for myself. Um, we had a, a couple of years ago where we were lighting them off. And of course, like we're out, it's late. I'm wearing sandals. And uh, my brothers and I are helping. I go to light the uh, firework. I drop it into the chamber and I go to turn. And my sandal gets stuck. I fall. And of course, the crushing weight of me on the pier shakes it, destabilizes the firework, and it goes (laughs) AWOL. And of all people that are out there, like the grandparents and uh, uh, my brothers and everything, uh, my niece, my goddaughter, comes up and she passes me. And she goes right into my brother's face who was out there. And he's just like, you were out there, man. You should have been there for him. And I was just like... (laughs) She loves me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, hey, Brian, you heard her. You're like, you should have been there for me. <laughs> He's like, it was, you're wearing sandals. I'm like, yeah, but this is on you. This is on you. Uh, but no, uh, definitely be careful <laughs> because no matter how careful you are, I always, I always feel like I take at least one uh, spark to the eye. Oh, yeah. There's always one close call. That's mm-hmm. why I just get a, just a box of snakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the first time Anna's kids see real fireworks, they'll be like, just mesmerized. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, you told us it was only snakes <laughs> yeah. this whole time. <laughs> I feel like every year, too, people 
have more and more licenses to like what's the fourth adjacent. Mm-hmm. Like I've started, uh, we had fireworks as early as like last Friday in the neighborhood. Oh, really? Off, and you're just like, come on. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not time. Guys. What's that? What's that like an acceptable window? I'll take like the day before the day of and the day after everything outside of that is just maybe two days. Weekend after is totally fair game this year. Fourth of July is on a Monday. You're going to get fireworks before you're going to yeah, get them after. No, Nothing you can do about that. I have to prepare myself. Yeah. Just, well, one of those things, you know, you're getting old when it's like midnight and the fireworks are going off. And you're like, come on. I know. Really? Like, now the, the fireworks don't bother me. It's when someone lights a firework because we're near a, a park. And so they'll light off fireworks in there. Is the firework goes off and then there's a beat and then every dog in the neighborhood loses its <laughs> mind. And you know, it's hot out. So every window is open and it's just yeah. like my neighbor's dogs in particular. I'm like, you know, it's coming, man. Get some muffs on them. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, let's move to our final thoughts before we get out of here. Um, Anna, what's your final thought this week? Uh, I know this is going to air after, um, the 4th of July, but we're, our family's heading up to, we rented a cabin up North, uh, for the week. And I'm very excited. I got my three or we got our, our kids, um, their own inner tubes that are like shaped like fruit. And so I think that that means that they won't fight because they each have their own. Are they all the same fruit? No, they're different. Oh no. (laughs) I want the banana. But they agreed in advance who would have watermelon, who would have lemon and then who would have the kiwi. Lemon. Yeah. Somebody's going to be mad about the Kiwi. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, There's already been some talk about um, which ones can be covered in sand and which ones cannot. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the trip. And hopefully by the time I see you guys um, next, I will not have been traumatized by the inner tube fighting. But Very good. Um, My final thought this week is that it is uh, my wife's birthday tomorrow. Um, and I just wanted to say happy birthday. You know, she does a lot for me and the, uh, the family. She's a big supporter of the podcast. Is she watching live? Is nah, she? she's not watching live. Um, but, uh, just wanted to say that I love you and thanks for everything. Happy birthday, Jeff. Happy birthday, Carrie. We love you for putting up with David. <laughs> it is trying. <laughs> I don't make it easy. Yes, we are heading out of town as well. Looking for... No, you don't. <laughs> Just no, you the, don't. I'm not going to leave that there. with the yes. <sighs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we're heading out of town as well. Uh, I think this whole week has sort of been like, you know, in this office, it's kind of like fourth graders right before recess mm-hmm. trying to focus on math or something. Yeah. So it'll be good to uh, get out of here for a while. Um, transitioning to trivia from last week, had kind of some interesting development here. Typically, when I look at these engagement numbers, when we put out the trivia, and the question for this one was which food company had the highest level of engagement. The options were Kellogg, um, Tyson, Pepsi, Hershey, Mondelez, and JBS. Um, I look at the non-vertical sites. So I just mm-hmm. look at manufacturing.com, or excuse me, manufacturing.net, um, IN.com, MBT Mag, Impo, that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, it was, Kellogg barely was ahead of Pepsi. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Kellogg would have been the right answer, but I got a lot of responses from our readers. And I'm not just like pandering here. Like we legitimately learn a lot from our readers when they respond mm-hmm. to us and, and give us feedback. So with so many answers coming in for Tyson, it kind of made me wonder a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I went to foodmanufacturing.com mm-hmm. and on that site, Tyson, it wasn't even close. Oh, yeah. really? All the stuff we okay. ran on Tyson, mm-hmm. it was overwhelming that that was the company that had the most highest level of engagement. So anybody who wrote in Tyson, 
they're getting a t-shirt. Nice. There was a yeah. ton of them. Um, sorry for not mentioning everybody, but yeah, we'll definitely get those out there. So we did a little bit differently this time. So yeah. both would have worked out, but Tyson definitely worked. I definitely thought it was Tyson. Yeah, it was huge. Like, mm-hmm. and I figure with that being the food processing sort of focal point of our uh, our portfolio, if you will, um, yeah, it kind of made sense to recognize that. Oh, was Kellogg so huge because of the strike? The strike stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And actually, Pepsi was huge as well. That one had more than I realized too. Okay. So, so again, I said I was thinking about my dad a lot. So I'm gonna we're gonna go old school with the uh, the trivia. We're gonna go back to the 1988 ER Wagner safety car trivia. Yeah, I like it. And with the whole focus, you know, we're excited with the fourth coming up. I thought we'd do sort of a you know holiday themed, if you will, trivia question. Mm. All right. What are the three things you should do to put out a campfire? All right. So if you're sitting around the campfire, roasting some marshmallows, making some s'mores, drinking some beverages, before you go to bed, there's three things you should do to make sure that that campfire is out and that you're safe. Really? What are the three things? There's a third? Kick it. Let okay. me know. Jeff at IAN.com. Ah. Kick it. Kick it. <laughs> Dig a trench Just around it. Just kick it. it. <laughs> Just put a bird on it. Kick that bird. Put a rooster on it. Just put jab a rooster it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, before we get out of here this week and everyone goes to enjoy their weekends, long weekends, or entire weeks off, just a reminder that we're off next week. Um, also, a reminder that uh, please send us any questions that you have or story ideas that you would like us like us to discuss on the podcast, not next to the following Tuesday, because we'll record it live on Monday, which is the 11th. Mm-hmm. And it'll go live to our, it'll go out in our newsletters on the 12th. Can they ask us anything? They can ask us anything. Anything? We don't have to answer everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, get weird with it. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. All right, for Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week.